Welcome to Biblio Observatory, a new series of the South Carolina State Library's podcast, Library Voices SC. I am Yvette Villarreal, Biblio Observatory hostess. And I am Caroline Smith, the Inclusive Services Consultant at the South Carolina State Library. This is a special transmission from Columbia, South Carolina, to explore the universe of books and stories that people treasure from their childhood and how those stories defined the lives of people touched by them. And today we have with us a guest, Mr. Steve Sawyer. He is an adjunct professor at the University of South Carolina, and he coaches youth and adult athletics and martial arts, both at the professional and amateur levels, and has been in recreation for over 25 years. Thank you for being here with us today. Thank you for Mr. being Steve. with us today. Thank you so much for having me. This is very exciting. Okay. So to start off, can you tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself and where you are now? Well, you know, I've been working with children and adults uh, for over 25 years in recreation. And more specifically, I started getting into uh, individuals who are 45 and older as a specialty for personal training. But my heart is really with children and helping in children development and athletic uh, instances and really for uh, life coaching in those uh, those time periods of careful development, you know, critical development, uh, particularly in teenagers and, and that kind of a thing. So I really enjoy that time period of life. It's such a critical moment. And it's interesting that you have brought me in here because stories, life stories, have such an impact on multiple levels. And as you retell those stories yourself to them, you actually find different and deeper meanings within those stories to share with them. And it's interesting how they perceive things differently than you do because of time period and technology and, you know, some things aren't around today that were around then. So like cassette players, for instance, you know, mm-hmm. you have to kind of fix that when you tell the story. And it's funny how that all plays mm-hmm. out in the whole realm of things. So uh, it's a very interesting subject mm-hmm. overall. This is great. Well, we are very happy to have you here. And would you like to tell us about your favorite a story, the one you heard when you were a little, the one that stuck with you? The one story that stuck with me as a child would have to be uh, The Two Indians and the Sparrow. And it was actually told to me by uh, a Native American elder in the Penobscot Indian tribe in uh, Old Town, Maine, years and years ago. My grandfather was a friend of his and on occasion we would visit and uh, he would tell us different stories and this was one story that really stuck with me and I've told this story over and over and over in my classes and my life coaching so it's something I've reused over and over again throughout my entire life and passed on to other children and people. Would you like to share this story with Did us you today? Share the story? Of Please. The, okay. <laughs> uh, you, you want the short version I'm sure. Okay. <laughs> okay. So the story goes something like this. There once were two braves and a wise man. And every day, the two braves would go to the wise man and they would ask him a question. And every day they asked a question, the wise man always knew the answer to every question they ever asked. So then it got to the point as they got older, they wanted to ask questions or try to find a question that the wise man couldn't find the answer to. But every time they asked, he always knew the answer. So one day the two braves are walking in the woods and they hear a cheep, 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 cheep over next to a tree. And one of the braves walks over and they realize a sparrow 
has fallen out of his nest. He didn't quite make it on his first flight. And so he picks up the sparrow, and they're wondering whether they should put it back in the nest or what they should do with it. And then the other brave, he says, I have an idea. And the brave holding the sparrow says, what's your idea? He said, we'll take this sparrow to the wise man and we'll ask him a question. He said, what kind of a question can we ask with that? And the brave said, we'll hold the sparrow in our hand. We'll cup it so that he can't see it. And we'll ask him, we have a sparrow in our hand. Is it alive or is it dead? If it's alive, we'll let it go. If he said, or if, yeah, if he says it's alive, no, if he says it's alive, we'll crush it. If he says it's dead, we'll let it go. And the other brave says, that's a great idea. There's no way we can lose. We got him this time. It's, 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 it's a slam dunk. So they run over to the teepee. They go inside and they go to the wise men. They say, you know, I have a sparrow in my hand. Is it alive or is it dead? And the wise man looks at both of them and he stokes his little fire in the teepee and he doesn't say anything. He just kind of looks at them and keeps looking at the hand and the two boys are obviously very nervous. And finally, he sits up and the braves are excited because they know he's gonna say something. And they say, what do, you, what do you think it is? What do you think the answer is? And the wise man looks at both of the braves and he says, it's up to you. And with that, the brave who had the sparrow he looked at his hands, and he opened his hands, and the sparrow flew away. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. What about that story, do you think, made it stick with you for so long? It stuck with me for multiple reasons. I think a lot of it had to do with the fact, first of all, that the wise man was truly a wise man. And that was the first thing that, that stuck, is because you, you, couldn't, you couldn't get around him. And he, even though he didn't know the answer, he knew the answer anyway. And I thought it was fantastic the fact that ultimately he gave the choice back to the Braves. And of course, the Braves, because of their upbringing and, uh, you know, you could read so much into that whole aspect of things, uh, made it a very, uh, I think, a universal choice that's not only reflective of them, but reflective of the culture and. Uh, and all of these things that you could extrapolate from that one moment in time or that one decision. And it was a simple decision, and it was a very simple problem. And you could see that playing out, how teenagers or young people constantly try to, like, we got one over on the older guys. There's, there's no way they're going to get out of this one. And the older guys, the older generation seems to always kind of circumvent that concept and find a way to you know, nullify the situation or pull something out of that with knowledge or something that becomes to a point where the person in the event has the option of becoming something greater than they were at the beginning of the whole thing. And so obviously with the Braves having a decision to let the Sparrow go, it allowed them to take a step forward in their own lives and to step to a new level. And I think that's why I liked it so much. It, it, it just seems it's such a simple story. It's like a parable almost, you know. And you can derive so much meaning from so many different perspectives on it. It's so simple, but yet you can look at it from the perspective of the wise man. You can look at it from the perspective of the braves. You can look at, you know, uh, all of these different philosophical and cultural ideologies and still you walk away with this incredible meaning 
that's multifaceted. How old were you when you heard that story for first time? I had to be like eight years old or something when I first heard it. And when I when you're eight years old, I like yeah heard it, and I was and of course my reaction was like, well that's stupid. You know, <laughs> it's like you let the sparrow go, and it, you know, I didn't really understand it. But you know, and as you're exposed to the same elders over and over again, you realize very quickly that inevitably you get the same stories, and those stories keep repeating. And you know, it wasn't probably till I was in my young teens that I heard that story again before I said, you know, that's a cool. I just like that story. You know, it's like one of those things where. You're off, you know, hanging out on the other side of the room or whatever, and you hear a fragment of that story, and you go, "Oh, I know that story," and you run over and you sit down and you know you 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 get excited about it because you know the whole story, but you want to hear it again, you know, and that's were, exactly what that story was. Were you in Maine when you re when you heard the story a second time, or was it coming from somewhere else? No, actually, I was I was in Maine every time I heard that story. Okay, but it was like one of those stories that I heard all the time because. Uh, the elder was, and I don't remember his name, but he was, he was old. So, you know, when you get to be a certain age, you, you tell things over and over and over. Let me tell you the story about the sparrow. And you're like, in your mind, you're like, I've heard that a hundred times, but okay. And so at first you humor the person, but then you get to the point where you, you look forward to that story because it's something familiar. And uh, again, as you get older, it's one of those things where when you hear stories over and over again, the meaning changes. You know, as you become greater in life experience and maturity, uh, the meaning of the story changes in, in multiple ways. Can you tell us a little bit more about those changes, how that story changed in different episodes or stages in your life? When you, when you heard it for the first time as a child, do you remember what exactly was the message you got? Oh, not really, maybe later on? Yeah, I think the first message I got from that, and my grandfather was really good at enforcing this, was don't mess with the old guy. (laughs) 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 So the old guy knows everything, so don't mess with the old guy. That's like the first meaning. And then later on it became, you know, when you get to about 10 or 12, I think, you know, the story took on a different meaning where it was more probably of a reaffirmation of character, of choice. You know, you, you, it's a story that exemplifies something that you at that time in your life are striving toward because you're trying to be a good boy. You're trying to be a good student. You're trying to be uh, a good son, a good grandson. So you have these expectations at that time that you're trying to fulfill. And here's a story that you can relate to that says you're doing it or that someone else has done it. So it makes it possible for you to do it. So that story grew up with you. Oh, absolutely. How is that perspective from a teenager? Can you connect that or maybe much later in life? I think in my, when I started telling that story was the next time that I started changing the meaning for it. Because at that point, I started using the story to help emphasize a life lesson and so when you do that the drawback to that is a little bit is that as a storyteller you have to kind of make sure that you're amplifying a little bit of that in your own life so here's a story that is a story about wisdom and choice and so to tell that with any kind of real 
validity. You have to be doing that in your own life to some level, or at least striving for that at some level. So when I started telling the story to children, to athletes, or to people in my karate classes as an emphasis of life skills, of being honest to yourself and being true to yourself and, and listening to um, your elders and making the right choice and how the right choice was something that you could do that nobody else could really influence you, something you had to come from yourself, then I had to be kind of living that in my own life. And later on, it has become, in my older adult years, or I guess I guess my li- older adult years, right? I'm 46, you know, <laughs> I'm like, I'm old. <laughs> the children would say, you're old, Mr. Steve. <laughs> but, uh, but I'll say midlife. <laughs> it's taken on more of a concept of wisdom. And now in my life, I look at that and say, you know, I really want to be as wise as the wise man to see that kind of coming down the road and not be tricked by the younger crowd, <laughs> you because they're always trying to get you with something, <laughs> which is that's just that's part of the fun of it, you know. He was really teaching them something with that question, too. How does a story inspire you in life to choose your career path? Oh, that's easy. Oh, do you think there is a connection? Oh, totally. Because when I looked at later in life, when I started kind of putting myself in the story, and at first you're the boy in the story, you know, and then you're um, the person with the sparrow or the person looking at the sparrow or, you know, you're, you're one person in the story, but you're never the wise man. And once I started looking for the, the story and I wanted to take on the role, of the wise man. I saw myself in the story as the role of the wise man. That really changed my perspective because then you have to ask yourself, well, what am, I, am I on that path? And to be on that path, you have to kind of look around and go, well, th- that's not the path of a soldier. That's not the path of a professional athlete. It's not the path of a person who's uh, um, you know, kind of running from job to job. You know, It's the path of a professional. And that, when I looked at that and said, what's the closest kind of thing that I could relate to that? It was obviously teaching and coaching. Because for me, what became significant about the story was the role of the wise man. So the accumulation of knowledge and the passing on of knowledge from one generation to the next generation became very important to me. Because that's how I came around the story in the first place, was the older generation passing knowledge to me, the younger generation. And for me, I once I realized that, I wanted to be a part of that tradition. And so it, it totally guided me to a role of teaching and coaching. Um, how did the lessons that you learned from this story or that you took from this story help you get through difficult times down the road in your life? I think that the most important part of that story is, again, when you go back through the story and you begin to see yourself in the roles of the story, and the aspect of the roles. So kind of bouncing on a little bit of stuff from like Jordan Peterson, for instance, you know, he has some wonderful information about how it's very difficult to be virtuous if you are not, or have not exposed yourself to the evils that men do, so to speak, or the evils that you are capable of. Obviously, as a soldier in the United States military, you get exposed to that very quickly. And a lot of your career, even though you do, even though I was more of an administrative soldier. Nevertheless, all roads in the military lead to infantry, and ultimately you are an individual with a weapon that is pointed downrange at another potential human being. 
and the catastrophic decision of that process and the results of that decision definitely play with you. So the story relates to that because to let, to appreciate letting the bird go in the end of the story, you have to be prepared the fact that the brave was prepared to crush the bird. And so that concept is about embracing negativity in our lives and the challenge of our lives and the fact that we have the ability to fail, we have the ability to make the wrong decisions and the repercussions of those decisions and how grave they are. So when things became very challenging for me or very uh, negative in life, having that to kind of think about momentarily, again, it kind of takes you back to a very familiar place. And the story takes you back to something that you know. It's kind of a base to go back to and to bounce from. And so once that moment in time is captured again, you can basically look at yourself and go, well, you know, am I making the choice right now to crush the bird or to let the bird go? And if the answer is I'm crushing the bird right now because I'm making a lot of the bad, wrong choices, then you realize it's as simple as making another choice and the choice is to let the bird go or the, the choice to embrace something new or to embrace something uh, that you have never considered before or a way that you have never thought about before or reinventing yourself. And that's, of course, the, the lesson of freedom and the lesson of creativity and truly the lesson of true choice because once you realize you have the choice of either one or the other, then you truly become virtuous. And now you can truly choose within yourself something that is uh, truly your own, not something else or something outside influence. Any message for our listeners? Anything that you would like to tell them? Grab an old person, sit them down, and ask them about stories. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Uh, that's one of the most uh, valuable resources that we have in our community. And it's one thing to go to the Internet. It's one thing to, to utilize YouTube and all these things for resources because they're wonderful resources. But nothing beats sitting down with an individual face-to-face -face and having them tell you a story uh, or a personal experience. And my grandfather uh, taught me that very young. And we went to, used to go to a nursing home to visit my great-grandmother. And I was usually very bored. And so when I learned I could walk around to other people and ask them questions about, well, first it was just, you know, kind of child-type things. And they would engage with me because they were in a nursing home. But they, you know, would jump at the opportunity to, to share something. And then later in my teenage years, I, I said, well, you know, were you in the Depression? Were you in the Dust Bowl? Were you, you know, were you a rosy riveter in World War II? No, I wasn't, but I worked on a, I worked on a sawmill. You know, you hear these incredible personal experiences that you can't really even get out of a book. You can't get out of a video. You can't do it, get it from anywhere because it's a unique experience because it's from them personally. And that's something that's very unique. And that's why I think stories and sharing knowledge is huge. So my, my message would be grab the older generation and ask them anything. Because at just a certain age, here's the tip from Mr. Steve. Be a motivated knowledge seeker. <laughs> because once older people hit a certain age, here's the tip. Once older people hit a certain age, they don't think that anyone wants to hear what they have to say anymore. And they don't think that anyone wants to be around them. So if you show the slightest interest, 
They will tell you anything you want to know. And they have loads of knowledge and information and many stories to tell, both personal and made up. And it's a wonderful experience and you'll, you'll forever have a person that you can go to for knowledge and wisdom. The value of human connection and a story. Totally, it's probably one of the most amazing connections you could ever have. And you brought your grandparents. Is there is any story that your grandparents told you that you could share with us today? Personal experience or made up? You pick. It's up to you. It's up to me. <laughs> wow. A story that, that, see now, I didn't practice for that. So. <laughs> uh, so sorry, let's see. A story, well, you know what? Yes, I can tell you a very personal story. My great-grandfather, Levitt, uh, had a uh, quite an extensive farm uh, during the during uh, the depression years and when the depression hit Old Town and Alton as the story goes my great-grandfather for almost three years every single day six days a week he had one of the only Model T Fords in the area and he would go to the end of the driveway he'd turn left toward Old Town and he would go into Old Town and anyone who could get on his truck he'd bring them to the farm and then we dropped him off, he'd go to the right, and he'd go to Alton, Maine. And he would grab anybody he could put in his truck, and he'd bring him back to the farm. And the deal was this. Okay, no matter what happens, the farm's going to keep growing stuff, and the farm's <laughs> going to keep producing stuff. So it's, it's got to be harvested, it's got to be planted, it's got to be whatever. So here's the deal. We're all going to work the farm, and at the end of the day, if everybody has a basket or a bag or whatever, you can fill up whatever you want from the farm. And once a week, we'll shoot a deer from the property, and we'll share it, and we'll take it back to our families. And no matter how long this thing lasts, that's what we're going to do, and we'll all get through it. And for three years, my great-grandfather did that six days a week. And there, are, uh, there was a lot of people at that, in both those towns who had my great-grandfather's picture in their store, in their home, because they thought of him as a local hero, because they were like, he saved the town. Like his dedication to the community helped save the town. So it was, uh, it was a, an amazing thing to be a child and to have people walk up to me and go, oh, you're Carlton's grandson, you know? And it's like, no, I'm, I'm Stephen. No, no, you're Carlton Levitt's grandson, you know? <laughs> and so that was, uh, and Roy Car Levitt was his name, but uh, that was a very wonderful story. And I, I thought that that was always amazing, the dedication that he had to his community. And, and of course, to his farm, you know? But the result of that was uh, he helped a lot of people in that time period. So uh, I've always tried to follow that example and help people in my own lifetime and, and uh, always try to make sure that uh, everybody could win. I'm a part of one of those everybody wins kind of scenarios. Uh, and so I got that from that experience. So it shaped your vision and your values? Uh, totally shaped my values because that was, a, that was a huge expectation to live up to, both as a child and then later in my teenage years. And to go anywhere in those two towns, when I was a kid, it wasn't very fun because I had to always be very respectful and you know, I had to be clean, we could like wash my hands before I went out kind of thing. You know, kids hate that. Like, I don't wanna wash my hands. You know? <laughs> We're just going to the store. It's like, you know, it's like, no, you gotta wash your hands, you gotta put on a clean shirt, da 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 da. But uh, the reality is, is that uh, as I grew older, I realized that there was a major reason behind that and that uh, I was carrying on a legacy, the legacy of my family and the regular legacy of what had been left 
uh, ahead of me as an expectation. So once I kind of grew into that as a teenager, it, it definitely uh, made me think differently about my actions. And you know, it, it wasn't even a, a choice for me as a child to make the mistake of you know getting involved with you know drugs or drinking or you know choices that people have. That wasn't even on the table for me because it, it, there's no way my family would have ever tolerated that. And I never wanted to tarnish the name of my family. So that huge responsibility was a huge deterrent for a lot of negative potential choices as a child. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing your stories with us today. You're welcome. Yeah, it was we, great, guys. Thanks a lot for having me. Thank you for visiting Bibli Observatory and sharing your personal stories with us. Thank you so much. You guys are great. It was <laughs> a lot of fun. Thank <laughs> you. Um, thank you to our listeners. You can find Bibli Observatory on Podbean, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio or add us on your favorite podcast app. Our podcast website address is libraryvoices.podbean.com. We love hearing from our listeners, so send us your comments or suggestions for future episodes. Bibli Observatory is a collaborative literacy initiative to connect our communities and children with the joy of listening, reading, and writing those memories from childhood that changed our lives. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.